Our word from God today comes from two psalms again, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, as I try to get myself more room to wander. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. They fit together. So we'll take them all as one. Psalm 42. To the choir master, master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls that all your breakers and waves have gone over me. His steadfast love. And at night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunting me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my rock and my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we explore that powerful word, let's bow our heads and our hearts in humility before Him. God, we are too easily prone to wander. We can feel it now. Even as we hear Your Word proclaimed, a thousand distractions call out to us, a thousand sins in our hearts and all around us the doubt and the despair, the chaos holds us down further. We cannot move to this place of rejoicing unless you reach down into the darkness and pull us up. Our sin, our despair, its gravity is too powerful for us to escape. 
nothing is too powerful for you, O God. We cry out to you. Would you reveal to us the joy of your salvation and leave us walking out of this place singing and praising to our God, our rock, our salvation that has come to us in Christ. By his authority, in his name we pray. Amen. Fear is a liar. Fear distorts our ability to reason, to see the world the way God does. It makes things seem far worse than they really are. Throughout my life, I've struggled to be freed from the fear of what other people think of me. It's quite a miracle that I'm actually standing here with a hundred faces looking at me. As I've grown older, God has sped up that process and I'm thankful for that. But if you've known me for a while, you know that oftentimes I have gone into this game that I sarcastically call the worst case scenario. This minor disruption in my life shows up, any conflict comes, and my mind begins to reel, considering every possible, utterly terrible thing that could happen. It might be at the park with my children, and suddenly I wonder, who's that guy over there? And for some ridiculous reason, my mind considers the worst thing that could happen, assuming their motives. When I was a kid in school, I would be sitting in the cafeteria and see two kids on the other side of the cafeteria whispering to one another. And certainly in my mind, I thought they were talking about me. Sometimes, even today, if someone sends me a text message and says, hey, I'd like to chat with you, immediately my mind goes to, oh shoot, they know some deep, dark secret about me that's about to be exposed. It's going to be a terrible meeting. I don't want to do it see some heads nodding. Maybe you've experienced some of these things as well. Sometimes terrible things do happen, but most of the time these things are just utterly ridiculous. It's our own pride and fear that leads us to these places. I'm thankful that God's brought people into my life that know me well enough to say, knock that off when they see me going down that path. Because fear is a liar. It destroys our ability to reason Fear blinds us even to thinking that we're fearful. We won't admit that we're fearful. Satan uses it subtly, whispering hundreds of lies in your ear to make you feel alone, feel isolated, feel distant from God. It paralyzes you. It convinces you that you're unsafe no matter what you do and things will never change. It causes you to blame others, assume their motives, creates division. Some people, the fear is so bad... They can't even do ordinary things. They can't get out of bed. They can't make their own food. They can't just do basic math. Fear robs you of everything good. And our psalms for today are telling us how to drive out this fear when it crowds in on you. No matter how real or imagined it might be. To find joyful hope even in the midst of chaos. Psalms 42 and 43 together are telling us to command your affection towards confidence in Christ. It's a lot of C's. Command your affections toward confidence in Christ. All kinds of circumstances can trigger emotional responses that will lead us trapped in fear. Every negative emotion that pops up 
in our hearts presents us with a choice. Am I going to feed it with fear? Be drawn away further by fear? Or am I going to command my emotions to hope in God? Emotions aren't wrong. I'm not telling you now that we should just bottle everything up, shove it down and forget about it, act like it's not there. They're actually God's good design for humanity to take us where we are and lead us to hope in our Savior. And these Psalms tell us how to do it. You can see when you read these Psalms that they belong together. Psalm 43 doesn't have a, a title like Psalm 42 and the one after. And then if you read through them, you can obviously see it's repeating the same refrain as Psalm 42. It's building this climax, building on this progression, going from doom and gloom to joyful confidence in what God is doing in this world. So these two psalms together have three parts, each ending with the same refrain, telling the soul to knock it off and to hope in God. So the first section is in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. The psalmist looks at what is behind. What's behind me? In his dark circumstances, he deeply laments what his soul has lost, and he fears that what's in his past holds him back. Then in verses 6 to 11, he addresses what is upon me. He looks around in his life, and it feels like God and the whole world is against him. But there's a little shift here in the second section, right in the middle, that leads to confidence in the last part in Psalm 43, where he expresses hope in what is before him. The promises of God overtake him in the moment, and joy pours out and crowds out all the fear and sadness. It's a beautiful lesson for us to learn how to apply to our own lives so we can escape the fear of any of our own chaos, chaotic circumstances. So let's go back into the text and begin the journey right with him in the darkness, lamenting what's behind him. I'll read the text one more time. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Then they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The first verse of this song, the first paragraph, the first stanza is heavily emphasizing the sad state of the singer's soul. The soul is not to be understood as like the non-material part of us, as though we have a body and a soul. The Hebrew word for soul just means life. In other parts of the Bible, like Deuteronomy 6.5, it speaks of not what's inward, but who I am, everything about me, body, soul, body, spirit, mind, will. So in this psalm, you can see these things. He refers to his anguish, including in his bones, in his tears. He's thirsty, he's hungry. The body is a vital part of his worship, his experience. So, But now before... We hear him pour out his soul. He makes an important declaration to himself. Before he goes and starts 
pouring out all his garbage and all his frustration, he's going to set his sights in the right direction. He says, my soul pants for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God. He's recognizing the proper place for his emotions. Before he lets them flow, declaring that he isn't, he, he's not just venting. He's not just showing up to his friends and saying, I just need a place to vent. But he's giving a purpose to his emotions. They're make, to make him hungry to know God. This is what all of our longings, all of our desires are truly for, is to lead us to be satisfied in Him. If so if His life is in danger because there's this oncoming army coming at Him, He's looking at it realizing, I'm scared right now because I might die. But this is actually leading me more to think, I want comfort and security in God. Or if He wants the intimacy of marriage or the fruitfulness of bearing children, having kids, He's realizing... Oh, this, this, these desires in me are actually making me want to know God more. I want more image bearers so I can see God's face more. I want the intimacy of being with God. That's what it's all about. Just like Jake said last week in Psalm 51, that our sin, even against one another, is ultimately against God. So too is our joy, our relationships, every hope we have with other people is actually a hope we have to be satisfied in Him. So with this reminder, I'm going to take these emotions and I'm going to point them at God, even though they're pretty bad right now. He begins to pour out His feelings. His soul is in anguish. He doesn't really say what happened, which is good. It's very helpfully poetic of Him to say it in this way so that anybody who's suffering anything can enter in with Him, can relate to His situation. He's so sad. His tears pouring out down his face, filling his mouth. He's exhausted. Day and night they keep coming. He's lonely. He's far away from the people he loves. He's just got some serious depression going on here. And he's honest with God. Just lays his cards on the table. Makes his case before God saying, this is what I have. It's worthless. I hate it. I don't want to be here anymore. But I know I'm supposed to be satisfied in you, but I'm going to be honest, God. I am feeling completely unsatisfied right now. I feel like you're distant. I'm stuck. I can't get closer to you. Now the doubts are creeping in on his mind and the doubts are turning against him. His own emotions turning against him saying, where is your God? You ever have that wrestle in your own heart? Nobody else has to say it. We accuse ourselves all the time trapped in the swirling black hole of the inner thought life, unable to escape its power, powerful gravitational pull. And he cries out to God, Rescue me! I can't get out of here! It's okay to say these things to God. It doesn't shake His identity. It doesn't make Him less of a, a, a God because you are taken up in doubt and uncontrollable emotion. It's okay to be there, but it's not okay for us to stay there, to linger in that fear and doubt. He wants to lead us out of it to a place of confidence, of hope and rejoicing. But before we can get there, we first need to just be here and recognize the root of it all, that it's all grounded in fear. Look at verse 4. 
He has this memory. He remembers when he used to, a long time ago, get to go to the temple and sing and dance and feast with the people of God. He's not there anymore. It's all just a distant memory. Was that even real? Did I really get to experience that? Will I ever get that joy back? Will I ever get to share that fellowship again? He fears he's always going to be alone. And maybe even part of his fear is that it's his past that's holding him back. The heading of the psalm says this psalm is written by the sons of Korah. And if you do some digging into the genealogies here of these guys, you find out that they are the descendants of a man named Korah in number 16 who led a rebellion against Moses. He said, I want to be the one in charge here. I don't like carrying the temple furniture. I want a more important job. God quickly and severely shut down that rebellion. He opened up the ground and Korah and everyone who followed after him fell in. The ground closed up and everyone went, we ought to take God seriously. Some of Korah's descendants survived and you can imagine some stigma. Oh, are you you going to be just like your dad? And generations later, the ones who are now leading singing in the temple. Oh, I bet you guys are just waiting for your opportunity, just like your great-granddaddy, to do what he did. Psalmist maybe singing to himself, fearing that maybe he deserves his tears. Maybe he fears that his past is holding him back. His past is what's preventing him from ever finding lasting joy. But in verse 5, he just interrupts those negative thoughts. He commands his affections to confidence in God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? It's just a rhetorical question saying, stop that! Stop going there! It's not helpful! Hope in God! For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. He might not see how yet, but he knows There's got to be something better. It does no good to fearfully dwell on the past or go inward. He knows God is going to rescue him from the despair of his own heart. But even if he escapes his own heart and his own distant past, he still has difficulty around him right now. So in the second section, in verses 6-11, to he laments what is upon him. Go back to verse 6. Even though he just told his soul not to be cast down, he says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I'm remembering you from the land of Jordan, and from Hermon, and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep, but the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves gone over me. But a whisper breaks in. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love. And at night, His song is with prayer to the God of my life. Starts arguing with himself. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And now he just goes into this arguing again. Why do I go to mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Notice 
the first words back in his lament are, my soul is still cast down within me. It's not like someone just walked up to him and said, God works all things together for good. Well, thanks. (laughs) That fixed it. I'm good now. If only it were that easy. When you experience pain and sorrow and suffering, there are so many layers of despair and hopelessness and doubt that need to be torn away. You don't just one time hit you with some truth and it's done. But we got to continue to push forward. Tell ourselves this truth, even in the midst of it all. So he keeps wrestling. He says he's in a far off land, in places that it doesn't matter if you know where they are or not. All you need to know is they're not Jerusalem. They're far from home. And they're far from where he wants to be. And verses 9 and 10 are telling him in this far off land, his oppression, his enemies are oppressing him. His adversaries are taunting him. He's trying to deal with his own depression and his own embarrassing past. And now these enemies just twisting the knife deeper into his back. God, get out of this place. If only I were home. Not just home, but back where God is. In His temple in Jerusalem. The place where He gets to meet face to face with God. Where Psalm 16 says there are There's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Back in verse 2, he said he wanted to appear before God. Literally, those words mean before God's face. He wants to be face to face. Completely exposed. Nothing hiding him before God. Because then he will be free from shame. Free from fear. Free from oppression. But all this stuff is keeping him from God. In fact... His circumstances now feel like their punishment in verse 7. He said at the beginning, my soul pants for living waters, living streams from God. But now, the water's too much. There's too much. The deeps are pounding upon me. The deeps are a reference to any deep water we've seen throughout the Bible. The deeps of creation. Tumultuous waters that bring out the new creation or the deeps in Noah's day, in the flood, or in Egypt, when Egypt gets pummeled, crushed by the Red Sea coming down on them. Deep water symbolizes God's judgment. Our psalmist feels like he's being pummeled by a waterfall, knocked over again and again and again by crashing waves of judgment. Did he do something wrong to deserve this? Again, if you're in a place of suffering, this is totally normal to be asking these types of questions. God, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? Did I bring this on myself? And you think back, if only we would have done that differently, we wouldn't be here. Okay, God, I admit, I'm at fault here. What do I need to do to make it right? can't escape these constant questions. But then a thought invades his argument in verse 8. Just kind of pops out of nowhere. And for the first time, he uses God's personal name, Yahweh, the Lord. And it's this whispering reminder of God's steadfast love. His covenant promises. God's song is with him all through this dark night, whispering a reminder, God is faithful. 
He always keeps His promises. He will bring you into His presence. Not because of anything you do or did in the past, but because I am faithful to my promises. This is an important place for any sufferer to get to. You've got to hear these words. You've got to get outside your own despair. Take your eyes off of everything happening around you and focus on God's promises in His Word. When God breaks into our souls, even if our circumstances don't change, at least our attitudes can. Verse 8 is a turning point in these combined psalms. It's right in the middle of the whole song. Everything after this turns starts to turn away from the doom and gloom and get a hold more and more of the repeated chorus, hope in God, hope in God. Verses 9 and 10 begin the releasing of the grip of this fear. He says one more time to God, why have you forgotten me? But with the, the promise of God's faithfulness in the verse just before that, this is now a little bit more healthy self-examination. Instead of spiraling further into doubts, he's examining his own thoughts in light of God's faithfulness. He's asking, why is he mourning about his enemies taunting him, asking him, where is your God? But now the question is a little different. He might not feel God's presence as closely because he's not in the temple like he wants to be, but God just came to him where he's at, broke into his heart, reminded him of his promises. Now these things don't seem so threatening anymore. He's telling himself, why am I feeling this way? God always keeps his promises. I couldn't, for some reason, I couldn't see it before. He realizes throughout the entire Bible, God has been always keeping His promises to build a place for His people to dwell with Him. He built a garden and lived there. And even when He kicked Him out, He said, I'm going to build another place. And so He built a tabernacle and lived there with them. And when that fell apart, He built a temple and lived there with them. But He promised something even better is coming. He's going to bring something that will fill the whole earth with His glorious presence. And you never have to feel far off from God again. Remembering these things, now the psalmist can command his soul toward hope. So he again repeats the chorus, this time with a little more confidence. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise Him again, my salvation and my God. Musically, there might be a, a building crescendo throughout this whole psalm. You start with this Strange, sad, minor key with the soft notes. Fear and trembling and sadness. But as the, the song builds and he reminds himself of God's promises, it builds to a climax and a resolution in a major key and powerful shouts of joyful hope and confidence. This is where he's at now in Psalm 43 as he focuses solely on what is before him. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. The thoughts try to creep in again. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Stop it. Send out your light and your truth, God. Let them lead me. 
Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. At this point in the song, the attitude has completely shifted. No longer is he stuck in inner turmoil of his own soul, but his eyes are fixed upon God. He's able to quickly cast aside the creeping doubts. He knows God has promised victory. This isn't to say that somehow he thinks that he's all perfectly righteous and all of his enemies, they are the ones who deserve judgment. He knows he deserves judgment. He knows he's a sinner. But his vindication comes not who has not or sinned less, but where he has gone to find his refuge from his own sinful heart. When difficulty comes into your life, when you're reminded of your own sin, when chaos surrounds you, your bones ache from your turmoil, where do you run? Run to the government so they'll protect you? Run to medical science so they can keep you safe? You run home to familiar comforts where you can keep the doors shut. And you run to drugs and alcohol just to numb all the pain. Or will you run to God? The psalmist will not find peace until he has turned his face fully toward God, knowing that he will one day arrive again in His presence. He's going to return to the temple. God promised this. He would dwell with Him and He'll be filled with joy standing at the altar with all God's people singing His praises. Little does He know though how God is going to do this amazing work. The song of Psalm 42 and 43 follows this pattern of turning mourning into joy. Taking the exile who feels lost and bringing them back into the presence of God something Jeremiah promised in Jeremiah 31. Verse 13, he says, God told him, I will turn their mourning to joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness in place of sorrow. And how does Jeremiah tell us God is going to do that? Just a few verses later, Jeremiah gives us this amazing promise that he is going to create a new covenant, a new relationship where God's Word isn't just proclaimed in Jerusalem inside a temple, and if you want to know Him, you have to go there, but He's going to put His Word inside of people. And he, you will know God personally wherever you are. You'll be, never be left alone. God's face is never far off. Because God Himself is going to come and forgive your sins. He's going to bring His temple to us. This happened. In Christ, the one who called his own body the temple. Wherever he went, the presence of God was. He was in a perfect relationship of, with God wherever he walked until the moment he took our sins upon himself, hung on the cross, and cried out, Why have you forsaken me? It doesn't make any sense. He was perfect. He didn't deserve to have God be far off from him. But Jesus took the despair, the mourning, 
the lament of this psalmist and all of us who put ourselves into the despair of this psalm. He, Jesus took all of it upon Himself so He became the one who felt like God had forgotten Him. Hanging on the cross, His enemies taunting Him, where is your God? Why doesn't He come and rescue you? He did all of it so that we who trust in this sacrifice have in exchange Jesus' life of delighting in God, of relating and knowing God. Our sins forgiven, buried in the grave with Jesus. And then He bursts out of the grave, leaving our sins in there, guaranteeing us the joyful hope of Psalm 43. We can know for certain, brothers and sisters, that because Jesus died and rose from the dead, God is always near. He's, we're never abandoned. Our fear can be thrown out. Our sorrow turned to gladness. Anytime we feel far off from God, we don't have to make a journey to Jerusalem to see Him in His temple because we are told now in the New Testament that His temple is His own people. We, together, gathered in this place, are the temple of God that the psalmist longed to be a part of. He looked forward through history. God gave him a vision of this. I want to be part of that. The temple has always been the place to meet with God. Whether it's the Garden of Eden or Noah's Ark or Moses' Tabernacle or Solomon's Temple, but now all of it is gone. You don't have to go to a specific one singular place in the world. You just gather with God's people in the name of Jesus and see the face of God on each other's faces. If you want to meet with God and experience His joy most fully in this life, set your faces towards God's temple, His church, His gathered people. And even if we die, we know this is just the beginning. God will raise us from the dead to live with Him. And when we rise again, the whole earth will be filled with image bearers redeemed by God, reflecting His glorious presence. Brothers and sisters, see trials in this life simply as tools God is using to put the past behind you and press on towards this great hope. These psalms guide us, teaching us how to command our affections toward confidence in Christ. This is the song we must sing when doubts and fears try to pull us away. How are we going to do that today? What does this psalm specifically tell us we ought to be doing as the temple of God? I have three things to finish up with. First, they tell us that it's okay to wrestle with God. Be honest with where you are. We can come as we are, but when we come as we are, God is going to change us into something different. It's healthy to express sadness, loneliness, fear, and doubt. We need to acknowledge where we start. We need to admit that we're lost. You can't get directions home unless you admit where you are and go ask for help back. But we can't stay lost. We need to deal with these fears and bring them before the face of God and He will guide us home. And so secondly, we need to stop talking at some point and just start listening to what God is telling us in His Word and through His people. 
Let His promises sink into your heart more and more. Transform your affections. Listen to some things that the Bible tells us. Jesus died and rose from the dead, so you will too. Meaning you don't have to fear sickness and death. Jesus tells us He's building His church and Satan will not prevail against it. This temple project He's building will never be destroyed like all those old temples. You can always come to the gathered people of God and find God's face. And because of Christ's sacrifice, God gave you full access to His temple. He won't hide His face in a cloud of smoke anymore. You don't have to walk in with a veil covering your face in fear and shame. You can walk with your emotions boldly into the temple of God. And He will transform your soul. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to do that. You just find the gathered people. The psalmist said his greatest joy was in the temple, in God's presence, in your sorrows, in your chaos, in your fear. Command yourself, go. I have to go be with the people of God. That's where I will hear from God most clearly. That's where I will see God most fully. That's where I will experience His joy most satisfyingly. As you look around the room and you see in the faces of other Spirit-filled people reflecting His hope, You see on the faces of the people who gather as they they are the voice of God calling out to you, don't go there anymore. Come with me into God's presence. And then finally, let that lead your emotions to joyful hope. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you're afraid, do what God says is good and right. Guide your feelings toward Him. Command your affections toward confidence in Christ. Very specifically, One way we might do that is one way that most of you are probably not comfortable with. When we gather to sing, use your hands. I know we're a bunch of Midwesterners who like to sing like this. I'm not saying that you have to do it to be more faithful. Just encouraging you to think about it. Our soul is both body and spirit. Both things together. And sometimes our spirit needs a little help. We can use our bodies to say, worship God. Look up there. Look to Him. That's where your help comes from. God, I'm lamenting. Help me. I can't get out of here. Rescue me. Do it so that your body can lead your soul to trust in Him while you sing His praises. You sing the words that promise He will rescue you. The psalmist knows his soul longs for God through all these emotions and desires. So he just repeats these same words over and over. He goes through the motions, trusting God's promises until he finally believes them and experiences them. So for us, that might mean we're going to sing a song again. Thanks, Jonathan. We're going to sing a song two times today. Works perfect. And it's a beautiful song reflecting the hope in these psalms. Sing it over and over, even if you don't understand what it says, even if you don't know what all the words mean. You're just hopeful. I'm going to bury this in my heart so that someday I will understand when God uses it to pull me out of despair. We are simply training our souls to run to Him and trust Him that in His presence we will have joy. It is guaranteed. It is God's promise. So let us sing 
day by day, week by week. Follow the pattern of this psalm. Lay out before God all of our emotions and command our affections toward confidence in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, we need You to pull us out. This cannot be conjured up by a certain kind of music. This, these affections cannot be whipped up into a frenzy. We just want to lead our souls to You. We want to pick our hands up in the darkness of the deep pit and we just ask that You would grab a hold and pull us out. Give us confidence. This city is full of darkness, finding hope in all kinds of wrong things, finding safety in the wrong places. Let us point them to hope in Christ at work by His Spirit.